I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Waru Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and NBs. Greetings. It is Watery Desho. This is Stream of Thought, talking The Promised Neverland, episodes 10 and 11. It's a bumper episode. It's a Friday. I love doing a podcast on a Friday. I hope everyone is doing well out there wherever you are. As I said, I am the subtle doctor, the cream in your coffee. And (laughs) to my left is... uh, your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster, Shadon. I'm currently, I'm, I'm currently, I'm currently enjoying uh, life and death. Uh, feels appropriate given the subject I'll be covering today. Six point five percent with a smooth multi backbone. I feel like that's something I should put on my Tinder profile. But anyway, how are you not doing, everyone? <laughs> smooth multi backbone. Love it. Mm. Love it. And uh, can I just get... say? Can can I just say? I was going to make a comment about the ketchup container being closer to the camera today than usual. And then he <laughs> fucking moved it. What an I asshole. Because I knew you would. I was ready for it. He got you. See, see Valerie, you're, you're a fine game player. You understand the concept of yummy. Like, uh, the yummy. Mm-hmm. Yes, the yummy. <laughs> right. right. So anyway. But yes, happy Friday, everyone. Woo! I'm drinking this bad boy. I have others as well, by the way, that I'll be working my way through. So this makes me get less coherent, if that's even possible. Uh, and also along for the ride, as per usual, it is the dark web herself. It is Vorgalia. <laughs> Welcome. Hello, children. Hello, home. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, human. I uh, love that. The, the entire chat already is going fucking, oh my god, Phil. Oh my god, yeah. Phil. We've been so Fucking hell, Phil. Uh, and don't, don't worry, Felix. Uh, you're not late. We, we started, we just uh, started at the yeah. top of the hour, so we're just doing introductions. Hello, you Emily. Hello, ketchup debacle, but you know, not Hello, Apanovi. Hello, uh. Sophie. And hello, James, Jessica, and everyone else uh, watching along that is not in chat. Yeah. There's so much to talk about, but oh fuck me! Before we dive in, 
just want to say uh, that everyone should, first of all, follow us on Twitter at Show W-A-R-U-I-D-E-S-H-O-U. And on our Twitter page, our pinned tweet right now is a link to our spring survey. Watery Dash Show is doing a survey. We would like your feedback. We would like to know things that you are enjoying, things that you think we could improve on. We want uh, your... We want to collaborate with you on future program ideas. We want to know how you consume us. It's just a very quick survey. It should only take a couple minutes. Four questions. Boom, boom, boom. That's Did it. Did you just say how you consume us? They yes. The f- just Orally. the brain. It's Orally. just the brain. <laughs> it's, it, it's li- yeah, literally, it's oh, the problem. That's all they land. want. They all want the brain. Man. Jessica's on point, though. Like, you know, we're going to start making all the references here. I've got the Billy Joel lyrics lined up in my head <laughs> all <laughs> night long. Yeah. We didn't start the fire. The show really uh, burned it down in wrestling terms. <laughs> so, yeah, take our survey. Uh, help us out. We would really appreciate it. Um, with that, um, I don't I don't have my uh, little cue thing sound player. So... You may have noticed that there was no intro music this week. Uh, when I clicked play, there was some sort of error. So fuck it. Um, I need to get a new one anyway. I was not happy with the program I was using. So, anyway. Uh, the doc fan is all gone. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'd, yeah, it's the angle of the camera is ever so slightly different. So, yeah, it's just barely peeking in. Um, Everything's changing. It's it's up to nefarious things yeah. that's moving around when when we're not streaming. It just... This is the climax to our show, much like we're how we're discussing the climax of yeah. the promised ne- Neverland. Mm-hmm. Next week, Forgelia's icon is going to be reversed. Same icon, it's just going to be flipped, or even upside down. <laughs> or I'll have so... a webcam. Oh, da suspense. Excitement. Well, you also well, you also have a similarly placed bottle of condiments, you know, to compliment, <laughs> you know, what's going on over here. Get some I'll duality. I'll figure out going. what I can do. I'll figure out what I can do. It is fucking Mayo, though. We're not so, we're not on speaking terms anymore. I'm just throwing out. Oh, that's Mayo. Shit, Mayo is shit. Uh, Shadon, uh, I don't know if it's me, uh, but the your camera keeps on freezing. It might be because my internet's currently a bit wonky at the moment. It seems like I've only got partial quality on the. Uh, hmm. Yours is also going at freezing as well, so I think it's just the quality of the call. Oh, for me, Docs is just fine. I think it's just you. Do you, yeah. do you want to hang up and get back on the call? Before we get Let started? Let me try. Okay. It's going to look weird for a minute. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was in ah, both windows. Ah, ah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Let's see if that holds that. No. Let's see if the waveform is important. No, you've already frozen. No. <laughs> Boo. It can't be else. Yeah, yeah. What are we gonna do? Um, well, we have uh, uh, Mister Spreadsheet himself, Shadon. <laughs> that's right. It's true. That's my that's my day job. I just basically smash spreadsheets together. Spreadsheet with so. mm. mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, would you like to enlighten us on last episode's Twitter polls from two episodes ago now? Uh, I, I have to look right here as it happens. Alrighty. So, uh, apart apart from the fact that I look like, you know, probably a look like a motion picture right now, I do apologize. I hope you can at least hear me all okay. Uh, so, first question that we had for episode nine, this was specifically, was were you a fan of the visual direction of said episode? Uh, we had a tie, believe it or not. 
We had 40% in for Yes, It Was Amazing, 40% for It Was Fine, and then we had 20% who said, mm, whatever. So, yeah, tie on that one. Uh, speaking of pre- visual direction and presentation, next question we had was, did the CG of, you know, Norman's long walk into the great beyond uh, detract from, you know, that moment in the episode? And this is actually uh, 55% say yes, regressively it did, so... Yeah. See... Oh, he is the devil, I tell you, man. <laughs> I tell you. Fucking devil. Uh, is the infantile amnesia thing stupid, referring to how Ray knows about the history of Grace House and such? Uh, 22% said, yeah, it was pretty dumb. Uh, 57% said, and 21% said, no, it's great, shut up. Fine, shut up. <laughs> A good, I mean, good I, imitation I of like 21%. There, I, I didn't like how there wasn't like middle ground because it's like, okay, I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's like as horrible as like other anime contrivances that we've let pass. So, I mean, you know. Oh, come on. We're a bad podcast. We're not consistent. There's no room for, there's no room for fence sitting. There's, on Watery Desho, there is, you <laughs> there must. There isn't even a fence. You must, We're too cheap to have one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you must come hot with your takes. Pick a side. There's no neutrals. And the last question we had was, does Ray care about Norman and Emma at this point in episode nine, or rather in episode nine? And, well, uh, it was pretty uh, conclusive, this one. 100% said, yeah. So, well played, folks. Well played. Yeah. Oh, wow, the first unanimous poll. Very good. Um, before we move, People know. Before we move forward, uh, I'm going to try one more time to diagnose uh, the issues that are going on. So if everyone can hang up, and I will restart the call um, oh really quickly here. I'm being booted out of what are we doing show. Okay, oh, hey we're back, and I haven't noticed the Shadon freeze yet. I think maybe since I'm hosting, jazz hands, jazz hands, do jazz hands. <laughs> Yay! Hey, it's there. working. <sighs> okay, you can. Stop. That's the most scary now, me. Felix, I'm sure. Listen, there's you. You will clear the Promise Neverland CG anime background bar before you know it. That is a low bar. I have I have faith in you. <laughs> I have all the confidence in the world. I didn't know you were like an animator of any kind. That's really interesting. Um, it's also like the, the, their backgrounds are very stylized and hand painted. It seems even on the CG models, so that kind of will add a lot already. So yeah. Okay. How we're going to do this this week, since we've got to cover so much ground, is. I'm going to do two very broad summaries of 10 and 11 to set the table, and then we're just going to go in full bore on both episodes. We may jump around, like, talking about things out of sequence or whatever, but that's fine. Everyone has presumably seen the episodes, and we'll figure it out together. So here we go. Uh, Well, actually, before I do summary, I did have some info, if I can find the right window i have way too many windows open it's not that one it's not that one it's not that one makes me wonder what you've got on said windows doc is you doing something suspects no Bitcoin mining going on here. no For the old pornography you can tell no. those we're all friends 
Unfortunately not. Uh, Hello and welcome to our discussion about the promised Neverland. Let's talk about Doc's pornography now. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is now be... .net favorites, you know, mm-hmm. RAC. JVs, uh, I know all about this shit. Phil, oh Phil nudes. <laughs> um, okay. So I just wanted to quickly say that uh, the director for episode 10, I don't have the episode 11 info. Um, would Shadan, would you mind checking uh, Emily's <sighs> blog uh, for me in full bloom, uh, Emily oh, Rand, yes. and see if she pointed out the director for episode 11, and we'll get the info on that. But while you're doing that, I'll talk about uh, Ayako Karata, who was the director of episode 10. Uh, and you may know Karaka from directing uh, such uh, garbage as, uh, where is it? Oh, Black Blood Brothers, which sucked. Uh, <laughs> Karata was the uh, director, the chief, the chief animation director for Black Blood Brothers, uh, which was a bad show. But uh, they were also the series director for Grand Blue Fantasy the Animation, GBF, uh, the new GBF. And uh, that's actually a decent show. So and there's plenty of other stuff. Uh, they were one of the directors, uh, one of the animation directors, rather, of the Inuyasha TV series, which is this really long Rumiku Rumiko, excuse me, Takahashi manga that was adapted into a really long anime. Uh, it has a lot of fans. I actually don't know anything about like whether the animation's any good, but uh, this person was the animation director there. And a ton of credits for animation direction, uh, key animation, storyboarding. Um, and I should say, this person was not only the director for episode 10, but the storyboarder as well. So uh, they had a lot to do with visually uh, what made episode 10 uh, tick. Shadan, what, were you able to find the director of episode eleven? It wasn't. Men- it wasn't mentioned on the most recent blog. It, were, it did not say that specific. Okay, all right, totally fine. Um, we'll probably have it in a couple of weeks when we reconvene to do the final episode. Um, We've got to point the finger at someone and say you did good. That's right. We have to do. We're it. making it happen. We have to do it. Um, I guess this is as good a time as any to say like. Uh, that next week we will be off. We will not be doing our usual stream. Um, we will be, I will be uh, out of town. I will be AFK. So next week we're going to have a break. And then the following week uh, we will do our episode 12 stuff and probably spend a fair bit of time talking about the series as a whole, uh, I would think. So look forward to yep. that. Um, I will be drinking a bottle of vodka for it more than likely. <laughs> why? Why not? I did it. I, I did it. I did it for Franks. I did it for banana fish. You know, it's about time I, you know, kept something consistent, which is my rampant alcoholism. Cheers, by the way. Cheers. Happy Friday. Mm. Um, all right, let's get going <sighs> with these. Uh, get these summaries out of the way so that we can get to the discussion. So episode ten, we got Norman telling Ray and Emma that he's going through with being shipped out. Uh, We have an extensive flashback scene of uh, a bedridden sick Norman uh, and Emma visiting him uh, and playing telephone 
with him. I know Shadon is going to have a bit to say about that in our discussion. Um, we have Emma and Norman's very just tense and emotionally packed, tearful goodbye. Um, while uh, Norman, who ultimately does decide to leave, is walking across the property with Mom, uh, we find out uh, the chief reason why he's done this, that um, it's buying Emma and Ray time. Uh, you know, he's, he, he, uh, and, and mom knows that he's done this for this reason. And, uh, that, that, so that his friends can, that the schedule will not be moved up, that Norman will be shipped out on time. So the demons will have their requisite supply for another couple months and Ray and Emma can live happily in the house, spending their last days, uh, unharmed and having the full two months to, to live out their days. Um, and then we have uh, the depression, the depression of Ray and Emma. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> they, are, they are emotionally devastated, Emma physically I, devastated as well. I could not be happier that we didn't get the Christmas insert, given that it passes through December. Mm. Fuck me, that would have been miserable. God. Um, yeah, they are very despondent. Uh, Ray tells Don and Gilda that he's given up. He's so very tired, he has given up. Um, Emma, though, does not. Despite Mom's advice, despite Mom's pleading with her, telling her to give it up, uh, it turns out that she definitely has not. Because on the last night that Ray is in the house, the night before his birthday, they run into each other in the dining hall, and she reveals to him that she has not given up on escaping. That is an overview of episode 10. And episode mm-hmm. 11 picks up basically right there on the same shot that we left off of on episode 10. Emma mm-hmm. grinning. Uh, what's the word? Um, mischievously is not quite right, but she's been... Maniacally? Yeah. <laughs> she looks like she wants to kill Norman. <laughs> uh, Ray, I mean... She she's been up to uh, stuff. Safe late for that. <laughs> <laughs> she's been up to stuff, um, and it turns out that neither one of them has given up. Ray has, in fact, uh, they they both I think knew that the other would work in secret alone, and so they independently decided to pretend to be defeated and to like act in such a way that from the outside looking in, anyone, especially mom, would assume they're not going to escape. They've given up this stupid plan. Um, They have been planning stuff. And they're going to each put their individual plans together and leave tonight. Uh, Emma initially says, let's do this tomorrow. Ray's like, no, it has to be tonight. So he's going to set fire to the house. He's been collecting all this lighter fluid. Um, light fuel, I think it says on the bottle. Um, and so he has this huge stockpile of this that he has collected. And it turns out not only is he going to set the house on fire, but he is going to set himself on fire um, because he believes that if only the house is set on fire, it will not provide uh, enough of an incentive to have mom 
be distracted and not pursue them. Uh, Ray thinks that burning the merchandise will be the only thing good enough to keep her behind at the house while the kids and everyone make their escape unpursued. But Emma does not let this happen. She uh, has been reading over this letter that Norman wrote her um, before he, I think right after he looked over the wall, saw the cliff, he began to compose a note. He realized that Ray wanted to off himself as part of this whole thing and informed Emma uh, of such. Emma has also obtained the keys that Crone left to Norman. Mm-hmm. And Emma, uh, it turns out, you know, she's not going to let Ray burn himself. She grabs the match. The match is in the air, about to uh, light the house and Ray on fire. Emma grabs it out of the air, will not let it happen. Shadon's favorite moment in the last two episodes, the nice catch. <laughs> that nice part catch. ruled. It ruled. Um, so it turns out, so what she's done is she, Don, and Gilda have slowly pulled in more younger kids because they believed Mom was watching only Emma and Ray, um, because that was the plan earlier. So they've roped in, they've told, uh, through used various ways, even as far back as when Crone was here, to let other kids in on the secret and having them train and collect things, supplies, and everything like that in secret. Emma's plan uh, is like real G's and lasagna. It moves in silence, uh, undetected. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's nice. Yes. Um, uh, Lost in place in my notes. Um, so mom, uh, falls for this initial stage of their plan. Uh, she believes Ray is burning. She stays behind in the house for a long time, allowing the kids to get the fuck out of there. But, uh, as the episode goes off the air, we have mom, uh, standing on the lawn saying, you know, cackling, saying they're alive no matter what. Like, everything's burning up, but the the merchandise is alive. Uh, You've frozen in a really funny face, just so you know. Oh, man, it's it's caught up now. This is why we we make these things work for our advantage. Exactly, exactly. Um, So, uh, then, oh, the last thing that happens is, is Ray, Ray notes that the babies are missing. Right, he says, "Is this everyone? Is this all of us?" And then it cuts back to mom to Isabella in front of the burning house, uh, and then out of the side of the shot comes Phil tugging on her gown. Uh, Phil emerges, and an episode over. So that's episodes ten and eleven. <coughs> Discussion time. What the fuck, no. Phil? Phil, fuck quit. I thought he was so, like, you know, on the ball. And then he's like, Mom, where's everyone gone? Oh, fuck me. Then again, I still have the headcanon thing, like, as I say to Doc and Bargelia offcast, that, you know, if you've ever seen Madoka Magica when Charlotte, the witch, you know, turns <laughs> giant-sized and eats Mommy. Spoils from Madoka Magica, by the way, but fuck you if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, I was sad expecting that to happen, where Phil just goes giant-sized and just eats her. Ah, that would have been good. That, 
the shot that you shared, like their positioning relative to each other and the way the camera is kind of pulled back, it, it looks like it's just perfectly set up for that sort of thing. <laughs> Incredible. I know. That's what made me thought. That's what made me think that. Oh, fuck. Right. So, uh, do either of you want to go first? Because I've got a shit ton to say, so I'm happy to hang fire for a minute while everyone else gets it all out there. Well, no, we can, I think we can trade off. because So I've been talking for a bit. Um, I'm fine to throw the mic to one of you guys, but we can we can take I turns. I can't believe Norman's dead. Norman's not dead. Ah, try well, to tell uh, our boys. Ah, well, here's here's the funny thing. Uh, all right, so I've got a shit ton to talk about that's come about as a result of these two episodes. It's funny how things work out, folks, because this delay, like um, that happened in us, you know, talking about episode ten specifically, means of course now we're doing both in one go. And it's in episode eleven. There's stuff that happens in that that actually helps like flesh out the points i'm going to make in just a moment so it you know things work out for the best in the end <clears throat> so let's see where do i want to begin i've got a laundry list today all right go for it let's throw one let's out there. talk let's talk firstly about fake contexts and authentic experiences my you know a little thesis paper my ted talk here so i want to pose a question to you all here Let's have a let's make up a hypothetical family here. Let's say we have a family of one parent and two children. And the children live normal, relatively happy lives for most of their years, you know, growing up. And then and then they find out later that completely unbeknownst to them, with no otherwise apparent ill effects to them, the parent, you know, has committed some sort of heinous crime. That, you know, they funded the lifestyles they had through, say, blood money. You can name any sorts of things here. I'm only being kind of broad to just get the point across. So I want to ask you all a question. Now, does that invalidate the good experiences those two children have between each other? Does with the parent? Does with the parent? Because here's the thing, right? Norman, Norman, um, in his you know long goodbye in episode ten, he states that he'd led a good life. You know, he was happy for the time he spent with uh, Emma and Ray and, of course, the other children as well. And I believe him. Even though they live or have lived or are living in a lie, in a complete fantasy, you mm-hmm. know, they're not there going to be adopted into actual families out in the real world. They're going to be turned into fucking, you know, Big Macs and, you know, Happy Meals and shit, the demons. Yeah, there's a phrase that I thought I'd say. But that doesn't invalidate the good times that they had for each other. And indeed, how many times have we seen that happen? Indeed, in the very same episode, we get a flashback, something that we'll talk about separately, that just reinforces that, that they did genuinely care about each other and love each other. And I think that's a really powerful message, actually, to be honest. Like, this is something that Mob Psycho has been, uh, Season 2 has been dealing with as well. Not so much Season 1, but that's fine. Season 1 had a different theme. Which is that, you know, you can live a kind of false relationship or you know to reality or to people or a combination thereof but it doesn't invalidate your experiences or the emotions that you feel or the friendships you form under that fiction i mean i mean there are certainly like stories out there you know that have said that that might be the case the matrix being one of them for example because you know neil lives in the fucking uh you know simulation a shithole situation simulation less but think of other, other stories where it's not even necessarily that you know it's fantasy but more just repeated reality uh, Re-Zero or Steinsgate, you know, time loop stories, mm-hmm. Madoka, things like that. 
And I think it's always quite a powerful, you know, message for that to be said, you know, that, yeah, you might have lived in the world where, you know, the rug gets pulled under and you realize after all this time that this person or this organization or this society doesn't have your best interests at heart. It will actively or passively go out its way to harm you. But it doesn't mean, you know, the good times that you had with friends, family, loved ones, partners, etc., is immediately invalidated. There is still value in experiences that are genuine that come out of, you know, fiction and lies, as it is the case here with Norman. And we see that. They are, you know, they deeply care and love love each other, even though they've been raised in a complete lie. Be cattle. And I found that a really powerful takeaway from this story, even though I don't think it's arguably the main take. Hmm. But nonetheless, the fact that Norman, you know, doesn't discount anything that's happened in the past prior to his death, quote unquote, you know, that it still means something to him, even though he was only ever meant to be, you know, cattle. That's pretty, that's pretty let me, something. Let me ask you a question. Like if instead of the current situation, we had a situation where it's like, okay, mom and Emma and Dre are all working for the monsters and all want him a hundred percent dead and all want him a hundred percent like to send them mm-hmm. there and are lying to him. Would you mm-hmm. have reached the same conclusion if it no. wasn't his friends and it was just, if it wasn't like just mom, but it was also his friends who were lying to him? I would know because like, that's why I led the uh, example there because the in a direct relationship with the person who is lying or is perpetuating the fiction, then it is invalidated, I would argue, in most cases. But it's not quite as simple as either. Like, you know, there are still some things that you can take away from that, like knowledge and such. But if it were then the case that Emma and, uh, you know, Ray in this alternate hell world of hell worlds compared to what we've got already, <laughs> um, you know, they were in on the gig as well just to get Norm and, you know, sent to the chopping block. Uh, I would say that he would be within his rights to feel like his experiences were no longer valid, that they were just completely violated. Well, um, it's interesting because I think it was you yourself, Shadon, that pointed out like the relationship between Emma and Isabella, that Emma still actually cares about Isabella, despite what Vorgelia was talking about, like that direct, like, oh, this person, this is the person that lied to me, but she's still got that love there for her. So, like, despite... Well, despite the lie lives between them, she she can't erase all that genuine emotion she felt. There's still like a connection that was formed. I don't think there's really a connection anymore, to be quite honest. I think that when I said, like, you know, about how Isabella feels towards Emma, that is love, quote unquote. But it's love in the same way that Thanos loves Gamora in Infinity War. We all know how that fucking ended up there. I don't, I don't. <laughs> I don't get the oh, reference. Fuck me. <laughs> I God, don't, I don't it. watch Marvel movies. I wasn't referencing fucking Tokusatsu Spider-Man here. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. So anyway, no, um, the point, I, I don't think that's the case. If I said that, then I take that back. But yeah, that's that's basically the thing I always see across there, which is that I really appreciate, like, you know, the fact that that was still meaningful to him. It wasn't all completely wiped away just because the rug had been pulled out and it stayed that way until the end, even until, you know, Norman did die, quote unquote. Off screen. I just want to highlight that. Well, <laughs> that is, we've seen two on-screen deaths, but we have fucking air quotes, yeah, right? Yeah, man. I, well, I so that's interesting. I don't know if I would. 
I don't know if I would like necessarily take back what you said either, because I I don't I find I still find the relationship between Isabella and the children interesting. Um, I still think on both sides there's th- that there is there is something resembling a connection, something resembling some kind of care, you know, because you can I don't know you can break relationships for other reasons, right? Besides some. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, we've been living a lie. Like a relationship can go I, go to shit. I can speak to that. It, go, it can go bad and deteriorate, whether it's with a family member or a lover or whatever. And the relationship could be bad, and you could pull out of it and think, oh, the best thing is that we're apart and that we never see each other again. And we go our separate ways, but you can still feel mm-hmm. positive feelings about them, also in that. So it's, I don't know. I just can't recall any evidence in which Emma says shows that after the facts, after their revelation. At least stuff doesn't happen in flashbacks or whatever. Yeah. I think at that point, they're very clean. I think as far as she is concerned to Isabella, I know Isabella feels differently because there's a twisted kind of love, you know, dated mm-hmm. love Marilyn Manson, you know. <laughs> you get... boo, uh, boo. But I think as far as Emma is confirmed, going outwards was Isabella. Once the rug has been pulled out in much earlier in the show, that's it. She doesn't hug for friend anymore, for example. That was a noted comment. There was, yeah. you know, the side-swiping comment of, you know, oh, I bet Connie went off to some better place or something to that effect, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of incendiary thing that I mentioned previously. I don't think there's any real evidence that, you know, that Emma still feels that way towards Isabel, nor the other children, for that matter. Ray already has been on the thing, so he doesn't count, but Norman, I don't see any evidence of it. But to each other, between each other, in their own little group, and to all the other children, they still do care deeply. And indeed, like I say, that's why we have the flashback of Norman's, you know, happy fun sick time when he's got the fucking flu, but he still thinks of that quite warmly because that was still real. And not just that, that's the flashback ties directly to the only thing he brings in his suitcase. It's Mm -hmm. his memories. It's, it's like, you know, he obviously has a very deep connection with Emma and that's the only thing he chooses to bring Man, I have so much more I want to say about that flashback, but I'm going to hold off on that for just a moment. There's a fuck ton of things to unpack from that. Holy crap. Well, I'll lead in with a very brief point I have about episode 10, and Mm -hmm. that is just that I, (laughs) like, I cannot, uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time putting in words how certain scenes in it affected me. Um, Mm. that is not necessarily the goodbye Norman stuff like that affected me a lot in a different, in a way, like I felt sad. There was, you know, melancholy, but the scenes in which Isabella is physically intimate, like very tender with Emma. Um, and this carries over from when she broke her leg, but there's more of this, like, while telling her, you know, it's over, you need to give up, you're done, you're helpless, you can't do it. Like, to be, to have those tender feelings, like, shown to you by, like, your prison warden, like, to have your executioner hug you, it's deeply uncomfortable for me. Like, it, it made me squirm so much, like, every time that, that juxtaposition of a mother's touch and love with like the the tr- the subhuman kind of way of talking to them and, and treating them well, like uh, food it just oh 
So do you think, do you think she does it as like an intimidation thing? Or do you think she's gotten used to treating people this way? What a, what a question. What a fucking good question. (laughs) May I respond with a question of my own, if I may? Um, (laughs) I don't have, I don't have 10 pounds on me right now, but I'm going to put an imaginary 10 pounds on my computer desk here. I would wager you £10 that what Isabella is saying to Emma right now in that scene in which she's saying, you know, give up, despair, etc., etc., is probably yes. note for note, if not paraphrase, what Grandma yes. said to Isabella in the exact yes. same scenario 100%. many, many years earlier. 100%. So, so I think this ties in again to, you know, like I really like Isabella as a villain because she's immediate, she's human in a world of monsters, but also... You can understand, even if you don't necessarily excuse or empathize, understandably, uh, with her actions, because you can see how she came to this point. I can totally, you know, trace the pathway Mm -hmm. beyond just the stuff we've seen with Chrome, for example, like the training, and see how, oh, I was treated this way, and it caused me to see the light. Maybe I should do the same with Emma. Mm. It worked for me. Why wouldn't it work for anyone else? I don't know. I don't know if if she would be like, well, you know, it caused me to see the light. You know, this is the right way. It's. I think it's more that she was broken by the system and then had no choice but to submit to the system. And then through time, she kind of lost her will to fight against the system, or she kind of thought of it as normal, or you know, kind of. Well, I think it could, I think those two aren't aren't incompatible viewpoints. Like you know, at that moment, like you know, what helped me get through this? What helped set me on the right path? Oh yeah, those words, or maybe even paraphrase. Speculation, mind you, because we never really get you know much more fleshed out about that. But I think this whole thing with Isabella saying all that, like first off, as you rightly said, Doc, fucking skin crawling shit. I mean, I was right. I guessed it. I guessed that she would say to Emma, "Hey, why didn't you become a mom? Mm-hmm. How could that go wrong? Hey, I can totally see you doing it." Um, and I, I just thought Emma being a mom, nope. Nope, 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 Oh, look, your two fellow cohorts were close to you and now gone. Do you want to reconsider my generous proposal? Yeah, the uh, the uh, persistence tactic. <laughs> I just continually break those waves upon her upon her shores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. Oh, exactly. You cannot say that. Ooh. Youch. Youch. Man. Do you have anything else about that? Not to that point, um, I, I'm willing to uh, now uh, pass the mic uh, before... Yeah, I, let's all take turns here. <laughs> do you have any... Go on, Bog, what do you want to talk about? Norman isn't dead. <laughs> Fuck! I, yeah, I, still have, I still have something to add to that, but carry on. Love you, Norman. Norman! He lives on! His, his spirit lives on. He lives. He... This episode didn't like hurt me as much, because I'm like, okay, you know, Norman's gonna do something. The kids have a plan. Something, something. Oh, he's in the fucking thing? Oh, fuck. She heard his voice and she saw him. Oh. As well in the next episode. Indeed. But I... I I, Yeah. Oh, you said. 
sorry, I forgot to mention a bit where I was saying about fake, like, you know, context and all that. Mm-hmm. So, just to clarify before I say anything else here, like, you know, I do care if Norman's dead or not, as the audience does and as Emma and Ray do. But for telling a story, up until the point we get confirmation from here on out if he is actually dead or not, like hard proof of one way or the other, it doesn't actually matter if he's dead or not. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but I'm just speaking strictly... I'm speaking strictly from story writing perspective. Because here's the thing. Even if Norman is alive or not... sleep tonight. Because you're not going to sleep tomorrow. Like a baby. Like a baby. Um, But the reason I say that is because, like I was saying about fake, you know, context and all that, they're now living in a post-Norman world, which sounds really fucking cheesy. Um, But... It doesn't mean that, you know, if they find Norman alive later, that the despair that they felt and then also the resolve to go on without him wasn't genuine. Same kind of thing. So this is why, while, you know, for, you know, fans kind of sake, you know, for the, you know, it's interesting to talk about as a fan. It ultimately doesn't matter right now for the story's purpose if he is alive or not. It doesn't. Because it's still, it's going to affect them regardless one way or the other. Yes. He still lives on through the plan, through their memories, you know, mm-hmm. through the motivation that the he is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially oh don't don't tell yeah. me. <laughs> oh, man. That man, that photograph has actually just gave me meaning because I've literally it's literally just hit me. Uh, Who is in that photograph again? Emma and Norman. Do you think that might have played a part in why Ray decides to do what he wants to do? No, he decided he, that he like it? years ago. That specific course of action right now, though, given that all things failed, he can't have known years in advance he was going to not get the he's, chance. To he, li- he literally said that. He's, he's like, even, he's from, been, even from years ago, when he was a tiny child. Yeah, he's been planning for years for his, not for specifically to kill himself. To kill himself, that's what he thinks. He, he did say no, that not... he has been fantasizing about it, that he wanted yeah. to do this right at the death, right when he... That's why he worked so hard on the tests and stuff. He said he didn't give a shit about his studies, but he wanted to be what the demons wanted, so right at the last minute, he could take it away from them. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think... That's what he said, though. That's literally what he said, No, 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 you misunderstand. I'm not talking about what specifically... I understand that's exactly what he said, but I'm talking about the meme. It's not specific as to what he meant by that. I know he said, like, you know, tests and all that, but... If he ever wanted to, you know, not let himself have that, then, you know, he could have done it any time. For me, I think he generally did want to get out and escape, but then, of course, the rug was pulled he out. He did want under. to, but then, yeah, but then the, the plan got destroyed, I'm saying that to have planned specifically for this kind of, you know, incredibly agonizing suicide, that seems scary. The point I was trying to know. He doesn't know it's going to be super agonizing, or he doesn't care. It's fucking immolation by burning yourself alive. It's the most painful okay, way you're a, to You're die. a 12 year old. First of all, you get knocked out by the lack of oxygen way before you start burning. Like, way before the intense pain would start. A, let's not discuss that. <laughs> Agree. Agree. Fair, fair, fair. No, B, like, I think I, you're a twelve-year-old kid. You you're fantasizing about like, okay, if if everything fails, I want to take this away from them. You know, I, I want to kind of like pull the rug out of their kind of feet, like kind of they did for me, or you know, definitely this is he planned for something like this. If the plan failed, 
ages ago, but I don't think he planned it just because of the picture or just because he thought he was outside of the group because he really wasn't. He took the picture. That's just him. He was the one to take well, the he picture. Was, he was, well, he was looking at it in this episode. You know, there was a yeah. scene briefly with him in the library looking at it. The reason I'm saying this is I, I think he like, gave it he, to Emma. That was I think it was Emma looking yeah. at it, right? Yeah, no, no, he, he, was, no, he was actually looking at it in a brief shot where it was just him in the library where he had it nestled in the book. Anyway, whatever. Okay. Reminiscing, I would say. but I don't think he feels like, oh, I'm outside of the group. Oh, I should die because I have no friends. Yeah, no. Or anything. No, no, no. no, I'm not saying he did. I'm, I'm saying that he would have done it so that way, you know, he could have... I agree with you that he did it because of his motivations, you know, give the middle finger to the demons and all that. Although, admittedly, I did find it amusing because in my head, I'm like... Okay, I see your plan here, but what if you've got that one demon with exceptionally poor taste who likes his steak well done? Oh no, he, they know they're special for as special he slash him. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, they I'm just saying, the, one fucking see. demon. Like they'll have all the demons around. I'm sorry, but Ray killed himself through you know immolation. He's burnt to a crisp, and like all all the demons, they will go, oh for fuck's sake, and you get one brick in the back. Like, oh, charred what? brain. Yes. Well, well done. Just how I like it. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Damn it, Jim! No one asked for your opinion." Jim, Jim, okay. Jim, Jim. Was in James. Okay, <laughs> Jimothy. Jimothy, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind. Of, I'm seeing stuff in the chats. Like, I'm kind of glad Norman's dead. Norman's dead. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I will kill you too. How dare you? What the hell? How dare you? Mm. No, Nor- Norman's dead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's technically true though. Not a false statement. It does. It does make it more dramatic, and I think it. Uh, now that they've crossed this bridge, pun intended. Um, <laughs> it's, it's going to be horrible if they bring him back. Like they found, they find the they find the owl dude, and then like Norman's next to him is like, "Hey, bros, what's up?" <laughs> I escaped. Right. <laughs> next me. to Minerva. Oh fuck! Yeah. Oh man. I, I, I think, think I, I think since I think since he was special, uh, they led him to a special room. They didn't kill him there then and there. They didn't like put him in a in a weird tube. And stuff. So they probably wanted to kill him right next to he slash him. He might like I... have been alive for the next week or something as he was being transported, as he was being kind of prepared. You know, something. as they're applying, you know, the pa- the parsley, you know, the oregano, yeah. the basil, it's fine. Salt pepper. Yeah. You know. Ah. Uh, Doc, what have you got next? Well, do you want to do you want to do the uh, flashback? Uh, yes. Oh boy, do I want to do that flashback? Oh my. Uh, <clears throat> so, I actually was spoiled in the run-up to the episode, episode 10 that there would be a flashback, because there was a scene of young Norman, like someone had put a screenshot of him in bed when he's sick, and you, I could tell that he was obviously you know much younger. I was like, oh, we got a flashback. And I'm not going to lie, my reaction before I saw the episode, I thought to myself, oh, for fuck's sake. Really? We're having a flashback at the penultimate moment prior to Norman's death. 
you know, to that will fucking kill the pacing solid. I'm like, oh fuck me, no, no, this has got to be a misstep. So yeah, I, I had to kill the pacing. How long are you talking about? Because literally, it's going to stop it to have time to, you know, stop what's going on to have time to review an event that's already happened that won't change what's happening right now. To give meaning to the one thing he decided to take into his... Well, I get, well you, again, Vog, this is just my initial reaction. It's not how I actually feel after the facts. I'm just saying, I'm priming you for what I'm about to tell you different. Go on. I have my gun unholstered already. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Let's hear it. So... I watched the episode, I watched the flashback, and I thought, this is probably one of the best flashbacks I've seen in anime. Seriously. Because it, it accomplishes and it accomplishes so many things at once, I was actually kind of flabbergasted. First off, um, recall in episode 9 when Emma's in, all laid up in bed, she mentions the string telephone. Mm-hmm. Like, it calls back to that, because it's a, it's a reversal. It's the situation reverse where Norman is now the one who's uninjured and he's looking after Emma when sick and they recall that moment. So it's a little thing like that. So that's good. Secondly, you remember, Doc, when I asked you the question way back when, you know, when Emma's leg was broken, mm-hmm. that um, if you looked at that out of context, uh, you know, what was your reaction be to that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said, you know, well, it looked like, you know, a, an adult caring for a child. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily their child, biologically, but a child of some description. Someone they care about. Same thing here. And it also reinforces the tragedy of situation and still manages to give Isabella a little bit of sympathy in that she's, as much, like, you know, villain though she is, she's as much a victim as the rest of them. Because this is a genuinely sweet moment in which, you know, she looks after them and cares for them. Like, she's very firm with Emma and Norman, but she doesn't ultimately stop them from doing the telephone thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Secondly, it also reinforces, or thirdly, rather, it reinforces known elements of the series as far. That Emma's rebellious and will continue to try and slip from Mom's grasp to keep going back to see Norman, but she always gets caught. It, again, you know, is the same thing as previous. And... It's also, as I've mentioned before, a really, you know, genuinely warm and authentic moment of caring and familial bonding between these characters that hasn't been, you know, taken away or destroyed, you know, because of all the things that have happened in the series proper. Else, why would Norma be thinking of it in such warm tones? Like, he smiles before he thinks about it. So it, it covers so many different bases back to back. Not a single second of that flashback is wasted fluff. Which is, I mean, like I said, I'm skeptical and cynical to the core. So when I saw that there was going to be a flashback in this, you know, prior to Norman's death, I was like, ugh, really? <laughs> and, now, and, now, and now I am of the complete opposite thing, which is that it's such a wonderfully textured individual moment that has a lot of meaning to it. Absolute masterclass stuff. Fucking loved it. Yeah, um, I it was really well done. I want to say, and of course I'm lazy and haven't gone back and checked, but uh, I want to say that these were taken from like interstitials um, in the manga. Like they'll do these little mm-hmm. uh, one-off stories between chapters 
um, and they're not drawn as as detailedly, but they they're like one page, eight panels mm. max. And uh, yeah, it's this. The, I didn't read all of them because I got to a certain point where I was just like, I'm gonna skip these because I want to get to the meat of the story. But I definitely remember like the first three or four were all about Norman being sick. Um, mm. <laughs> and, and, and so the fact that they took that and turned that into something serious and mm. interesting and tied it into the main story was so cool. Um, mm. And I love the fact that, uh, that telephone is the thing and that you have Norman like isolated in this room by himself, like as he appears to be at, at different times in the story, emotionally isolated from other people, but he's got that one-on-one line to Emma through the telephone. She's able Mm -hmm. to talk to them even through, even through the barrier. She's able to get through to him through the police caution tape door uh, (laughs) and her feelings can, can get to him. He's just got the flu. He's not got the fucking, you know, T-virus or some shit. <laughs> Jesus. T-virus. Right. Right. Uh, this was such a cool flashback. Um, yeah, I'm totally with you. That um, I love that they put it in here. Very, very cool. I think mm. I've already expressed my opinion. <laughs> Which is, I know. You're sad that Nor- Norman's not dead? Is that your opinion? <laughs> no. I mean, like, I love this this flashback. I but think, like, kind dead? of ex- exploring. Wait, he's not dead? That's what you just said. You, That's you... what you've been saying, right? No, he's no she's dead. she's been sad that he's dead. Oh, like, I thought no, but I think word for word that you said Norman's totally not dead. Uh, to be clear, just, this no, this I is not a seeing that for me. Oh, this is not a spoiler. I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure you I said Norman's no not dead. You guys, Norman's not dead. <laughs> I, I said that. But yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm just said it to make myself feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was quoting you. But please, so so you love the flashback also. Um, I mean, I, I threatened to kill Shadon, so <laughs> yeah. And Did, now my 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 thousandfolded katana goes back in its sheath. <laughs> Live for this day, kid. Um, so well, you just replaced Sekiro. Shadon's must die. So <laughs> that's right. The tales of John Sekiro, the White <laughs> Wolf. Yeah. At Tactical Creek. Uh, bye. Mr. John Sekiro. Mr. John Sekiro. John T. Sekiro. Do you. H- hips, hips don't lie twice. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. So I've seen stupid. that. Um, did. Vorg, uh, I have what I think is kind of a tangential and sort of long point. Um, did you have anything else uh, you wanted to say that might be more like core to the episode than what I'm about to say? No, I'm a dumbass. Stop it. My brain's Don't tiny. Be I have nothing stop to say. Stop it. You stop it. <laughs> well, that means that means you're more like survive in the world of Promise Neverland. So that's a good. No. <laughs> um. Oh, actually, a different point. No, wait, Connie. What are, what are you talking about? Like they fucking ship the dumbass children first. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, make you feel better. Fuck, I didn't think this oh, worked. Damn it. <laughs> um, oh, well. So how about, uh, like, well, there's two little tiny things I'll point out before I get to the, the longer point. Um, 
during the goodbye scene between Emin and Norma. Uh, Emin. Emin and Norma. <laughs> yep, the two <laughs> swapped uh, ginger. Um, Emma and Norman, um, at the point that she has sort of given up on the idea of stopping him from leaving, and he's telling her, I need you to eat right. I need you to take care of yourself. And, like, she's just grunting at everything he, he says. Like, very, mm. it's very soft, mm-hmm. low. Like, mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Fucking shot me right through the heart. Like, she just was so defeated. And, like, I can't stand seeing this girl. Like, for the last little while, it's like she's this reed that is getting bent lower and lower and lower. She's going to break. She's going to break. No. And that was so, that was awful. Um, and during that same scene, like for a minute, their faces looked like grandma and grandpa. Like, they, like the, <laughs> all the lines around the eyes, like they both just looked so tired. Like this whole thing is, is such, mm-hmm. such an ordeal. Like these poor kids yeah. should not have to bear all this emotional weight. It's so hard for them. Uh, God, that was. Um, so, true. So the next the the thing I wanted to like, I guess this is a little bit of a tangent, um, but I see this in anime all the time, um, and it really, I think, uh, whenever I see it, it enhances the scenes that it's in, and that's like. The during this goodbye scene, uh, right after all of the main commotion is over and he's leaving, it cuts away from all the people to the sink, and you see a single drop of water drop from coolish of effects. The faucet and and hit the what is that? Can you? Ex- I've heard of that term, but I don't know what it is. Can you explain? All right. What that so is? I actually, I actually used this previously on this podcast and completely fucks up. So this is my chance to redeem myself. Okay. Yes! Revenge. (laughs) Terminology revenge. (laughs) So, Cooler Shot Effects. Cooler Shot Effects space list, right? Imagine if you're looking at a camera and you've got a very plain expression. Imagining. It's easy to imagine. Okay. Uh Now let's imagine then that the camera, I'm not going to move it for the sake of not mocking up my webcam here, cuts to a beer ball. Or... Let's imagine that you then cut this the beer ball out and make it cut to ketchup, ketchup, or ketchup. Mm-hmm. Or how about, or how about a sad film? Or how about plow? Here's the thing, right? That neutral expression itself suggests neutrality, it suggests a reaction or no reaction whatsoever. But then you edit together a shot that follows immediately afterwards, and you then derive a meaning from that facial expression by what follows. Like the neutral expression, you know, of a sad film means, oh, he must be sad. Or the neutral expression versus, you know, a bottle of beer means maybe anticipation or excitement or planning. Essentially, more meaning is derived from two shots back to back than any shot in isolation. Mm-hmm. So, so, so is Norman thirsty or what? No, crying. Tear. <laughs> crying, yes, of course. A single tear. Um, a single tear. Interesting. So, yep. that, and yeah. All, yeah. Yeah, okay. And also, also, uh, the, the sound effect makes what it drops like is a, it's almost like a chime or like a note of like time or finality. Finality. I was going to say finality. Yeah. Like, yeah. Could I, be either way. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's is, that's is it cool. the same thing in like a lot of uh, Japanese movies, or yes. anime or stuff, mm-hmm. where where they show like the oh, the shit. water, the, the fucking like bamboo the thing that fills what? up and tumps over. Oh. <laughs> like, yes, I need this in my life. That's the sound my brain makes when I try to make a. Good I know, like, plunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, and then filling what? back up. Again. My beer almost exploded. <laughs> so I think that. That's a really that's a cool reading of it. Like the tear, I certainly when I was watching of it got the passage of time. I mean, the the not just the note of finality at the end, but like, I mean, maybe even that the shots were like everything before, and then the water shot were sort of um, co temporal. So that this is all happening, it feels long and drawn out and intense, yeah. mm-hmm. but it all happens as fast as the water goes from the faucet to the sink very quickly. Yeah, it, um, yeah that's kind of what I, I got also. And I also kind of connected it to the previous episode where he had kind of the moment of realization when the kind of he was mm-hmm. opening the faucet in the previous episode. He was kind yeah. of doing the same things. Yeah. And this is the first time, you know, There's something, something comes out of it. Yeah. I mean, like, like he set something in motion and it's finally end coming to fruition or coming to pass. So that's, yeah, I mean, there's, and I, I know. And that faucet was never loved again. <laughs> like, no hand grace that metal. <laughs> this is, we should start a, a weekly segment called Doc Reads Too Much Into Stuff. Um, that, because Fine by me. <laughs> this is, this is me now, I think, going to read. Maybe a little bit more, like, I'm going to over-interpret the scene. Um, th- there's also this idea in um, Japanese culture, literature, philosophy. I speak of all these things as if I've read it. I've only read about it. Um, what prefecture are you from, Doc? I know, right? i got to show my prefecture card. Credentials. Just wait, just, yeah. Where did you go to school? Uh, so, Swigs like... <laughs> uh, Kyoto, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> so there's this concept called uh, mono no uh, aware, um, and spelled like mono no aware, <laughs> but mono no aware is like it's broadly speaking, it can be translated to mean like the impermanence of things and the fragility mm-hmm. of life and kind of being being feeling I think melancholic about it feeling. That, oh, this is sad, but in that sadness, in that uh, temporality, that's that gives life this beauty, this enhanced kind of meaning and reflecting upon it. It's like all the feelings therein, like the sort of tenderness toward life and melancholy toward, uh, like, yeah, the impermanence of things. And, like, this this scene, like, I mean, it really... I was thinking about this due to the the water droplet and the fact that like it, it it really felt like this measurable unit of time that was very very small that and you had this this drama this whole drama playing out before us in the fact of like Norman is leaving Emma's trying to stop him they're fighting they're arguing mom intervenes they have another goodbye. Like so much is playing out. All yeah. these big emotions, complicated, in this tiny stretch of time. It's like uh, almost like an encapsulation of like, I don't know, life in general. Norman's life, like it's here and it's gone. 
because you know he he's here and now he's being shipped out um and it's it's only lasted in the grand scheme of things as long as it takes a droplet of water to go from the faucet to the sink but the length of time doesn't matter it's like everything that's packed into it and seeing the beauty in all of that um Mm. that's what i totally got out of that scene well well here's the thing doc you like how many times in this show have we seen references to measures of time? The calendar, the fact the episodes are named after date, clocks. There's a ticking clock. Ticking. I noticed that for the first time this this week, and I was like, "How long?" Like, I wonder if I rewatch this. Like, how long is the clock ticking in the background? How many episodes? Mm-hmm. It's like they're they're There's whittling their life the away. <laughs> Done. Sorry. Like in in the intro or throughout the episode? No, just at a point in the episode when I think I noticed it when Ray and Emma were talking in the dining room, just a constant like tick, 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 yeah, tick. One of the episodes opened with a camera perspective set inside the pendulum. Yes, yes, hundred percent. So yeah, it's more pervasive than you might think, and it's perfectly set against the impending doom they all face. So there you go. The clock is in the OP too. I forgot. I just saw I skipped the OP, so I forget. Um, mm. But you're right, Trickster. It's there. Um, I like the OP more now. I think it fits more now. <laughs> I have <laughs> something used to, to it. Enough, in, the ne- in the next talking point, I'm going to come up with. Would you believe it's oh, going to, no. you know, give more meat to the OP? Ah, do you follow that? Do you all? Th- Here's an un- another unrelated question. Um, do you all think Isabella really is happy? Well, I, I have an answer side for about this, because okay. um, this is good time to the thing I'm going to talk about, but we brought 984 before, and I think I even spoke about this last time, but it's not a question of whether or not she factually is happy, as we understand it, but more if she believes it. Mm. And I think that Norman asking that question puts her off guard, but she comes back on script, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I think that she is his happy, but I think that her definition of that word or that you know what it means to be happy is not as we would see. Yeah, the, a, the, you know, the surprise was definitely I think for me because she hadn't even thought about it. She was kind of so absorbed by the system and her mm-hmm. job and the script, as you mentioned, that it didn't really come up in her life. No, but like. You know, I think that it's kind of a Stockholm Syndrome thing. I have no choice, uh, you know, so I might as well veer into the sun rather than, you know, try and fly away from it kind of thing. So I'd say that she is happy, but it's not happiness as we would understand it. It's certainly not something that she is cultivated by choice necessarily, or at least with the entirety of her agency, or a little bit she has. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very, that's good. Um, I mean, yeah, happiness, success, all of these things are kind of defined by the mm-hmm. environment that you're in, by the kind of requirements of your... Such a scanning barcode! It's like a fucking wizard! <laughs> her response, oh, like, her response kind of got me, like, and yeah, like like you said, Vork, like, she was so taken aback at not just being asked the question, but being asked this question by, like, a 12-year-old boy. I mean, who's about to be eaten by demons? Like the last thing you should be thinking about is 
how she feels. But and well, when she said, me... and when she said, like, because I'm happy I got to meet someone like you, like, yes, man, <laughs> man. Okay, you go ahead. Sounds like you have a lot to say. Well, I was just, I was going to follow. You actually just brought the line I wanted to bring up, which was, yeah, why say that? And yeah. I think that maybe that's the kernel, like the tiny little, you know, nugget of humanity in her saying, well, okay. I clearly have delivered you once to, you know, the demons who are hungry for Uber Eats or Deliveroo or whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm doing them that favor. <laughs> I'm do- yeah, you know, I'm doing them that favor, you know. Um, but I think that maybe you can read from that that by the fact that Norman exists and has come to the conclusions and, you know, resolve that he has, mm-hmm. that she's happy that the possibility of such a person even exists, that, you know, this system hasn't completely utterly crushed all resistance out of you know humankind or at least the children in this environment yeah i think i think after kind of she was kind of exposed to the children this is pretty much the first kind of genuine indication that she does see them as more than just cattle as more than just like food mm-hmm. yeah so this man you brought up you guys have brought up such interesting points. So like so why did she I, I was going to ask why why she said that, but then I came to an answer that I thought, oh, here's the obvious answer, but but it hasn't been stated. So I'll I'll throw out my interpret so like yeah, just that there's Oh wait, no, wait a minute. You actually did already say this. <laughs> my bad i'm just absorbing what you are processing what you all said just that there's like a person who could completely know the truth of their situation and yet still mm-hmm. choose to sacrifice himself for other people like because he's doing it to buy them the next two months um what mom thinks is two months just to be happy and live and be in comfort but what norman knows is like two months to plan to get the fuck out of there like he's laying down his life so that that won't get fucked up like, and she understands that he's doing this to help other people. He's willing to to sacrifice himself. And yeah, I mean, how can you not respect something like that? And I, I thought this made a really interesting contrast with Ray here because both of the boys are willing to throw their lives away for, but for these totally different reasons. Like, you have mm. like Ray who is going to kill himself out of spite, like. He's going to do it for these super selfish reasons. He even says, this is a childish retaliation that I've been planning for years to get back at the demons in this way. I've been fantasizing about it right when they believe, right when their mouth is watering and they're going to, they're getting ready to eat me, the highest quality brain. I'm going mm-hmm. to burn it up and say, fuck you. I'm a human being. You don't get to eat me. Fuck you. But that doesn't help anybody else. That just fucks over the demons. That just makes them angry. Like, Except for Jim, Mr. You know, <laughs> I love it well done because I don't have taste. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm totally calling out people who have steaks well done. <laughs> Get it medium rare at the very least, you pussies. Right. Versus, okay. versus Norman, who is a, way more, like, it, it seems to have a lot more noble reasons to to want to well, end his life. I, uh, funnily enough, this leads into a talking point of mine. It's all weaving together. It's all good stuff here. So, okay. I want to ask you all a question. What does it mean or what makes a good death? Now, when I say this, I'm actually not for once talking about in story terms. I'm talking philosophically. 
how would you want to go out? I'm not piano talking wire. also about... Well, yes, piano <laughs> bar. I'm, not, I'm also not, you know, talking about specific events. Like, what make would make you happy principally when you die? Like, and I think to preempt your answer here, for me, it's having some significant or, you know, majority dictation in how you die. Now, I can, for example, I, like, I'll speak personally here. I have, a, I have a granddad who, he is mentally sound, but his body has completely and utterly failed him. And so I've discussed this with my dad, and it's, in my opinion, not right that he is still alive, as much as I would like him to be, because he can't be the fully expressed individual he should that so when he does pass on it will not be in my opinion a good death in that philosophical sense because he's not had the chance to dictate the terms and go out in the way that he would feel happiest with whereas conversely conversely if you for example died say doing something you love knowing full well the risks involved in then i would argue that's a good death that's a good death for yourself like you know you go into that great beyond content so mm. why is any of this actually relevant to the promised neverland as opposed to me you know jumping my shit on the uh, on a stream here's the thing norman right like norman's death and this is why i said before why i primed you all with that statement that it doesn't actually matter if he's dead or not norman's death is in my opinion its own middle finger to the demons and to isabella why do i say that because he, in some way of his own, has dictated the terms of how it goes about. Yep. Yep. He has... I mean, this is why he says things like, you know, smile for me, as he leaves that little girl whose name I can't remember. Why he's left preparations and notes behind. Um, why he goes happily, you know, with a half-empty suitcase with that one little memento of his time that he cares about. And why he shows no fear. Note that when he's in that gate, the place he's seen, Connie, you know, turn into, you know fucking luncheon meat, he's not afraid, he's not scared, he's not worried. He's accepted his, you know, ultimate fate and is content with it. He's going out on his terms insofar as the game allows him to, this game he's playing. Think of it like a card game. He's going out on a high within the rules that have been pushed to him. He's doing the best he can. In so, obviously, you know, the events that play out with Norman leaving are, of course, a parallel to Connie's, because that's kind of the ritual that goes on here even down to him wearing the more formal attire and taking the suitcase with him. Everyone gathering up to say goodbye. So it parallels it in context, but not in underlying, you know, ideas and who's actually winning here. It's a tragic that he's going, and he's going to his death, quote-unquote. Don't get me wrong. But he's going out and having at least, you know, dictated the terms of how he wants to go and having done the best he could. I think I even addressed this in a previous, you know, episode where I said that even if they ultimately fail, the fact that they tried is important in itself mm -hmm. and me even if they fail, the fact that they he at least goes on not ignorant of the fate that awaits him, but more embracing it and saying come at me, I'm not afraid of you that's powerful in itself it's a very victory, don't get me wrong but it is a victory nonetheless and the funny thing is the funny thing is, right we delayed this episode and I got to watch episode 11, and I realized it's the exact same thing for Ray. Sure, the methodologies and what they do are different, but he, again, is similarly dictating terms. I don't care. I don't fuck, you know, 
you will not have me for food. You will have a cadaver. You will have a charred lump of coal, as far as I'm concerned. I will decide the way in which I go out as my middle finger to you. So, for me, like, I really, again, appreciate, like, this is, again, is kind of personal for me, I will confess, but I think that, broadly speaking, I really appreciated the show putting this message across, that even though, like, beat for beat, as far as surface level goes, this is the same thing as what happened with Connie. Mm -hmm. It's very, very different, and it is a tragic end, but not a complete defeat, as it turns out. Certainly not for Norman. He got to decide how he went out within the, you know, rules that were set out for him by the game that they're playing. And I really, really appreciate it. I, I don't see it like that. Like, at all. How <laughs> sorry. It's because you love him and he's your sweet boy. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> he's my sweet child. But I guess, like, you know, he's gone, so I found new children. <laughs> <laughs> Traitorous mom. What Traitorous a mom. bandwagon oh, mommy. You, you, oh <laughs> I'm a stereotype. I'm a stereotype. But okay. go on, do sell. See, I don't think he's he dictates how he goes out. He knows how he goes out. That's like, okay, you know, I, I have a bad hand at poker and then I lose the game. It's like, well, you know, I lost the game. I couldn't make it work. That doesn't mean I dictated it. That means kind of, you know, you accept, you, he accepted his defeat. He tried to make I the think, best I out of it. I think, yeah, well, that's the point I was actually trying to make. And I, I don't know if you got what I'm in there. Because I'm not saying he dictated how he died. But I'm saying he dictated how he went out, as in how he came to that end and what went before it. At, at yeah, at, at the same, yeah. At the same time, like, he was doing the same things whether he was going to die or not. So I, I'm not sure I see it, but yeah. No, if he if he had not known... No, the thing is, it's not a question of him, like, if he was going to die or not. Like, if he had not known, would he have, you know, made the preparations he had done? Would he have done the things he Obviously done? not. Obviously not. Well, that's my point. That's the point I'm trying to get across. Like, you know, he had knowledge of how he was going to go. He wasn't going in in ignorance. You know, he was sure, choosing but... what to do, you know, with his time before he went. Okay. I can see that. Yeah, I think but, it's some... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Bor. But I, I don't think that adds, like, that makes his death specifically, like, a good death. What makes his death specifically a good death was his self-sacrifice. Was, you know, the... Well, that's the same thing, though. Like, he self-sacrificed by having the knowledge ahead of time. That is literally the same thing. Okay. Maybe I'm just misunderstanding. I, I think, like, the um, the idea is actually a little bit of a spiritual one. Or at least like a metaphysical or philosophical kind of idea and that like and you know who knows like whether these kids are consciously thinking these things or not but like in terms of the in universe but these stories are written by adults you know and they want to get ideas mm-hmm. across like i suppose it like it depends on your your priorities internally like whether you think like well what happens empirically materially to me in my body, like, is the most important thing, and that that other stuff, because you can't see it, can't measure it, no one else is privy to it, it doesn't matter. Like, if you think that, then, like, it really doesn't matter. But, like, I think that there is something to the idea of, like, I mean, certainly, like, this is what the Stoics talked so much about, uh, the, the ancient Greek Stoics, and a little bit, too, of what, like, the 20th century existentialists will will talk about, that, like, 
you can kind of be faced with the reality of your life being mm-hmm. and or, or all life. Like you can, a lot of them will be like, I faced with the reality of like the meaninglessness of everything, <laughs> and it, yeah. and it fucking sucks. No matter which way it, I turn, it's it's just nothing. It's meaningless. It's bad. It's death. It's whatever. But like deriving meaning from that by like not even so much what you're choosing, but that you're choosing something of your will. The fact that like you, a person, a human chooses to orient your will towards something like Mm -hmm. there are people that think that that's extremely valuable and that like, you know, you can, and, and there's no way to like, for me to sit up in a, in a, you know, tree stand or a helicopter and pick out humans and say, this one has chosen that one hasn't chosen. Like, but still just because I'm not privy to that, like, one person kind of only going with the flow and living their life based on orders and what everyone else has said, like versus someone who has chosen and has decided their path and said, I, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to like, how I'm going to live my life. Like, I think you can argue there's a qualitative difference between those two kinds of people. Yeah. Um, and that's why I made the distinction between Norman and Connie. Hmm. You know, one was ignorant, one was not. And despite having the, the grace of knowledge, it didn't crush him, you know, to the point where he didn't get to have those little moments, those little things that in the run-up to him being taken out of that house by Isabel and taken to the gate, which he couldn't, you know, do something to, you know, to have some say in his end. Not in terms of, you know, the fact that he, you know, whether he dies or not, but rather in how he comes about to what he does with the time he has left. This is taking a very dark turn, <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah, I mean, if we're all going to be eaten anyway, then, you know, I, I think it's, it's at least commendable that Norman has not like run screaming into the night. You know what I mean? And this yeah. has been like, look, we're all, this is, we're all going to die. And so I'm going to find some nobility in this. Like I'm going to choose uh, how and why, and I'm, I'm going to, in so far as I can do, um, make this choice. Like mm. even even if I mean the Stoics would even go so far as to say, even if you make the choice to just do what would happen anyway, like it, there's still something qualitatively you've different. Considered it. You've, you've you, considered it. You've decided. You've thought about it. You've spiritually dug your heels in. <laughs> you know. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and you're just more aware, I guess. And they would see that. And some and look, there's arguments. Uh, you know, they'd be like, "Look, all that shit doesn't matter. Who cares?" Like, but I am sympathetic to what you're saying, Shadon. I think that there's at least things to think about there. Um. Wow. Are we so we haven't really talked too much about episode eleven? I think we've got into it a little bit, but are there more talking points about episode eleven? Um. Yes, actually, there is. I have I have one about the idea of perspective and audience knowledge versus, uh, you know, what the characters know, which I brought before. So, I think that if someone said to me that they watched episode 11 and they said, so, okay, where the fuck did this entire plan come from? This is our left field. It's not been foreshadowed, etc., no, etc. Well, yes, it's not. And they felt dissatisfied by that. I would somewhat agree with them 
in principle, like, I, I can't deny that people would feel that way. But here's the thing, right? There's a very key difference in my head between, you know, not foreshadowing or, you know, not having sufficient build-up set up, etc. You know, stacking the house of cards, then let it drop. Because you didn't think about it and you didn't consider it as a right. Or, conversely, because you did think about it and you were deliberately obscure for a very specific artistic reason. So here's my point. What episode 11 does, and episode 10 to a smaller extent after Norman dies, quote-unquote, is that it takes the perspective that we've had and aligns it with what you might imagine Isabella's perspective is, which is just to see them being passive, docile, calm, and defeated. And that way it helps sell her own surprise, our own, you know, when it does, the rug gets pulled open from it when things finally happen. Indeed, it still plays with expectations, even up until the middle of episode 11, when Ray supposedly sets self on fire. Because we think, oh God, he's done it. But then he hasn't. It's the, you know, it turns out that Emma, of course, did the nice catch. Nice catch. Nice catch. Um, so I really appreciate the show for doing this because. Otherwise, I would have probably been a bit gripey about that. You know, oh, this plan came out of left field. And a little bit of it still does. Like, how the fuck did Ray manage to stock up so much light fuel without being noticed? <laughs> hey, Mom, I want, like, one ton of fuel. Can you get it for me? Yeah. I'll tell you what Emma did today. I mean, what are they using that with? Is it the lanterns? Like, why is he stuck? But fuck it, whatever, who cares? Um, yeah, it doesn't It doesn't matter. Like, the, the like, minutiae like that... See also, you know, oh, Emma cut off her ear to get rid of the tracking device, but why not just take the lobe off where the actual thing is? Doesn't matter who gives a fuck. Okay, not, we're not, we're not talking really. narrative. You're, we're talking narrative. This is this is my this is my my territory, motherfucker. This show <laughs> focuses entirely no on like the person that is disadvantaged, or like the group of people that is disadvantaged the mm-hmm. entire time. It, it starts focusing on the children. It starts throwing peril at them. They kind of start looking like they're going to overcome everything. But then the rug is pulled off their feet. And then we get kind of the mom moment. We've been building up mom as if she is this wonderful schemer. As if, you know, she has everything under control. She knows everything. Yeah. The, the puppet master. Yes. We have to show her overwhelm the children. And we have to... And the narrative completely switches to kind of what she knows what she kind of thinks like you mentioned and then yes we get kind of the it's it's almost like you know the second act in a in a show that has had so many first and second acts and no third act and this is our third act that kind of Mm. just punctuates all of the first and second acts that we've had both in like short term and like we solved this problem. Oh no, new problem. And then like long-term, mm. like we've been solving problems. Oh shit, mom knew everything. Mom had everything covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just Still as she now. in turn doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. And just as she in turn doesn't know everything, neither do we. And that's why I don't mind in this instance because it's an alignment between those two things. It's great. And also, funnily enough, it, we've actually been subtly primed towards this as the show has progressed. Yeah. Which is, 
Yeah. How many times have we seen things framed from behind windows or through shrubbery as if we're someone, as if we're the cameraman observing these kids in a fucking nature documentary? How many times? How many times has that happened? Many times. The show's built up. The show's built up to this moment, so it earns this violation of the you know setup and payoff rules that yes. often permeate fiction because it's doing it with intent as opposed to. Bloody door, I'm a right wrong with a picture. I mean, they, they do I'm set up. A, I'm going to write my fanfic. It's going to be a <laughs> There's that voice they, again. They do set up a few things. Like, you know, Emma is like, let's give them the plan. Let's whatever. And like, okay, sure. She tells him the plan, like off screen. And we're like, well, you know, what would you give her? We have heard it. I think we can like kind of, like this comes off right after they ta- they tell Don and Gilda. And right after they prove to be mature enough. Mm-hmm. to handle it so it's kind of a logical conclusion that she would kind of yes go towards yes that. her maturing that's her being faced with a problem yep. being faced with her own failings mm-hmm. failing to see the children for what they are and then overcoming yeah. that yeah that's it like the, i think i mentioned before like the idea of emma's faith and others being tested yes. by you know that yes mm-hmm. and that like you know we had the earlier episodes in which she didn't, for understandable reasons. I'm stressed. By the way, it was a lie. It was a, what we call a white lie. You know, she didn't want to tell Don and Gilda because she didn't think that they. She told them full for the truth that they would be accepting of it, which I think is a reasonable concern. A mistake in the end, as was proven by the events, but a reasonable concern. But as the episode unfolds, we learn that she has wisely not only a decide to trust the children other children but b get them in by giving them the concrete evidence they need which is them listing on Sir Crow and going I'm going to do my exposition dance while I tell you about the plans we've got sorry you probably didn't catch all that because of the stream going out uh, I'll send you all the raws later if you want to turn it into a gif anyway, I saw the motion lines <laughs> that'll do that'll do you can interpret the rest um so this is, I mean, this is something Emily Rand mentioned on her most recent blog post. Shout out to Emily, who recently joined us on this very stream of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Emma's crowning moment. I mean, Emma's had plenty of good moments, despite what people who apparently watch the show, but, you know, still comments out that would tell you otherwise, because they're fucking blind. Or they've got the, you know, she's a girl horse blinders on. So fuck you guys. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, I'm, I've got no sympathy for people like that who want to be dismissive of very obvious shit. Like, oh, here's the secret room, by the way. Oh, speaking of which, said secret room is locked in this episode, and they only found out because of Emma's own, you know, deductive reasoning on that. So if people want to be dismissive of her, you know, role and her, you know, contributions to the escape, uh, <clears throat> watch the fucking show, dipshits. Okay, anyway, yes. anger aside, anger aside, anger aside. So, <clears throat> like, this is her crowning moment. This is where her familial instincts... Her being the actual genuine mom of the, you know, ranch, so to speak, comes full through. It, you know, it pays dividends because she gets everyone on board. And the plan works as a result. As opposed to Ray having the opposite cow point where he's entirely self-censored, you know, solely insular on it. Like, I'll do this. You do what you want. You've got your own thing. But I'm going to just, you know, go out in a blaze of glory. So... Man, I the triumph I felt when reading this. Yes, it was like I could feel it. I could touch it. I could, I could taste it. Oh, it was so cathartic. <laughs> it's 
it's it's like oh, the children they're everything i want them they're my children yes that's like, the best part like oh my god how are we gonna do the children how are we gonna do the thing how are we gonna tell everyone and it's like yes everything's amazing everyone is doing this everyone's in on this together yeah we're a family a team we're a family and families do shit together we avoid like some big kind of like um uncomfortable moments that we might otherwise have like hey here is uh emma and ray in a big room full of tiny children telling him yeah. that telling them that they're so why, gonna why die and then they cry emma? for a while emma why did we leave emma well uh, oh, emma, let me tell you about emma. the demons that would eat you <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and and it. like yes, it's like after so much uncertainty, after so much uh, like kind of ups and downs, so many perils. We have the show goes yes, everything works out. All of these children are wonderful. They're all in on this, you know. Like the the world is on their side. That's right. Like, fuck yeah! Fuck yeah! <laughs> and yes! uh, man, oh, it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't even mind, like, like you said, Shadon, in, in lesser shows, it would feel like, like a cheap trick, but the way that they, uh, I don't know, I, I appreciated the effort, at least, to say, like, when this was going on in the show, that was also going on. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, when you thought Emma was looking down at the ground and doing nothing, and the kids were, like, hugging her and being around. She was actually telling them stuff. Like, yeah. I, I I liked that. I thought that was, that again, yeah. effort that I appreciate. A good touch. Few, few things, few things that I didn't like. A, the big bad exposition dump at the beginning. Like, oh, you know we've been doing this for the past two months. Like, oh, <laughs> I've been, you know I've been pretending. And, oh, you know you've been pretending. It's like, oh, that's clumsy. That's a bit clumsy. And also... The one thing that kind of came out of nowhere for me is how did Norman, like two months ago, figure out, oh, Ray is going to burn himself? Is that the shit that he found under his bed? All the uh, the chemicals or whatever. Yeah, yeah. the chemicals. Awesome. Is that what mm-hmm. he found? Okay, yep. okay. Yeah. yeah, it shows him looking behind Ray's bed while he's talking. Yeah, it shows him. And then I, I couldn't Under the tell floorboard, was, yeah. But yeah, if, if that was like the fuel, like, okay, cool. I think Great. maybe like he's. I don't know, maybe it's one of those super genius moments. You know, he deduced from Ray's manner and body language, think, and then the, the, I, the, no, the fire. No, no, no. <laughs> he read the walkthrough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I read the script. It's on the floor. Man, I, I have to say, like, I'm so glad that Ray was isn't like one of those child smokers. He just said, like, uh, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Set my own bed on fire. Whoops. And all the oil. Oopsie, it's now a good time for me to tangent onto the idea of fire, by the way, because this is my final talk. Fire! I take you to burn. <laughs> um, That's can pretty I, good. Can I ask a question real quick? Before yes. we do? So, I, I know there's still some there's still some things to shake out and things to settle. But part of me couldn't help but wonder at uh, at the future a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of these kids are very young. You know, it hasn't showed the, the infants or whatever, but 
like Lanyon and Toma. They seem pretty little. Um, like, how do we think... I mean, I realize, like, Emma has told them the truth, and as far as we know, like, the show is saying, um, they get it, and they're fully on board. But what if... I don't know, what if it's, like, a game to, to some of them, kind of, as kids? You know, what if they don't... Yeah, what if, like, in two months or two weeks, they're like, I'm tired of playing survival. I'm going to go home to mom. Well, you well, know? well. Here's the thing, right? I'm not going to no. tell you how I think it's going to go, but I am going to say that I would totally be down for that being an element being explored in later volumes. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it does have that element now of, you know, we're off on an adventure, you know, it's going to be great. And then, you know, the harsh reality of, right, Onion Kid, uh, go forage for mushrooms for 17 hours or whatever <laughs> in the fucking woods. Go gather us some shit. Like, you know, the reality will come crashing down on. But that in of itself is a good thing to explore to have a challenge part of them that way. So I'm, I would, I'm... like... No, no, continue. So I'm totally down with that being a thing that the material explores later. Like, how, like, what the why I ultimately think of the outcome will be I don't really know right now. I don't know enough about Onion Kid, apart from the fact that I'm sure he's got layers to him. Ah! Ah! Boo! That. So fucking <laughs> Oh, I that was good. That's it. Podcast beat. But anyway, <clears throat> so, sorry. I mean to say, like, I don't know enough about these characters, but mm-hmm. that's the thing. Like, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not complaining. Does there be time for them to be developed later? And then we can then learn about, you know, Maybe group dynamics, like, does one group split off to go somewhere else, you know, and do they then be, blah, 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 blah. Like, there's a lot of potential to be mined out of this. So just the fact that you even said that, Doc, makes me excited for what comes next, because I can see that being a thing that the material would explore. I'm so excited that there's one more thing to come in the next episode. Like, it's very relevant to some of the things we've been talking about regarding, like, Emma's leadership skills and stuff. Like, I think that there's a really interesting... I really want to see how you guys react to a thing that plays out. Very excited for this. I, hmm. I will tell you how it goes. Shadon, Shadon is a coward. He will not tell you how he thinks it goes. But I am wounded the right children, in my non-existent the children, the children understand, okay? So I, I believe the children understand about the monsters. The children understand about their fate. It's not like, oh, we're going on an adventure. Uh, and I would really not want to see that kind of narrative where it's like, oh, we have to fucking put uh, some words into these children's brains. It's like, mm. that's not the narrative I want to see. I want to mm. see them as a unit. I want to see them solving mm. problems. I want to see them as like the perfect family. You know, I don't want to see like problems within the group as much. So what I think instead might happen is... Some of the children might not necessarily like be prepared to see the demons or to have their lives in actual danger. They might be understanding, like, okay, cool, uh, maybe we'll die. And it's like, oh my god, we're scared. But I, I think like a, a point later is going to be that they will not, like, kind of be. Pre- nothing will be able to prepare for them. Prepare them for when they inevitably kind of face demons or face like you know. Uh, death. Mm. That would also be an entirely viable way for things to go. Like, where they are a cohesive unit, but they have problem solving together. 
Man, um, there's an old anime that you should watch for Galia called Galaxy Drifter Vifam. Like, it's oh, it's this exact thing. Like, it just I'll briefly give you an elevator pitch. Uh, it's sci-fi, far future. There's a war. Uh, the adults like put all the kids uh, on this one military base or or city or something. I think it's one just military base. They shove them all in this one spaceship. I think it accidentally gets launched into space. The aliens decimate that world. And the kids, ranging from like 16 to like 3 or 4, there's like a group of like around 20 of them. It's just about like their survival and kind of them going around. But it's not like, I I kept thinking, oh, they're going to turn it into this Lord of the Fly shit and it's going to be like (laughs) me against you. But there, it's really way more cooperative, and them learning to work together. Um, like they have tension and fights, but it never turns into like, now it's time for a mutiny and we're gonna kill you. Like, so I think you would really, really, really like that show. Um, I don't watch anime. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just consider but this I, an old what cartoon. I, what I want, what I want with my children, my special children. They already know how to work together. They already work as a team, as a unit. They're already like all kind of working for the same goal. It's like kind of like they have a hive mind. They know that whatever decision Emma takes or whatever, anything happens is for their own good. So I don't want to see like arguments. I don't want to see like garbage. Just give them, give them, it's, it's a kind of different dynamic now that they're a unit. So just give them different problems and have them solve them as a unit. Because they're my wonderful children and they can't <laughs> fight. Okay? Got it? I'm going to kill you. Tell us about fire. Fuego. Yes. Okay. So. Final point from me. So I've spoken once or twice on this stream of thought about the various directional techniques that this show uses. But like the one that I've spoken most rarely about is color schemes or, you know, hues, shades, you know, etc. And I mentioned, like, I think in episode two, like, after the revelation hits them that, you know, oh, yeah, Connie got devoured by demons, whoops, uh, that, you know, the conversation you have is framed in very cool blue tones. And then, you know, that's in episode 11, funnily enough, when Ray and Emma are together, they're back in the, the dining hall, uh, Funnily enough, it's the dining hall appropriately for a show that's mostly about consumption, etc., etc. Uh, again, similar kind of color. And I've read complaints elsewhere that, you know, the show relies way too much on orange hues for, like, its lighting, because most of it does take place at night, you know, in secrecy. And it hit me, watching episode 10 and then later 11, what the show's been going for all this time. And it's something that's in the OP, believe it or not. Like, the show not only is using these colour tones uh, with lighting to reflect the mood of the protagonist, it's also meant to be an a-, a metaphor for rebellion. Um, specifically that, you know, whenever they are plotting or scheming, you know, to escape, they're usually framed in that kind of orange light. When Isabella, you know, is questioned about is she happy or not, the light swings in on her face. So there's that. The entire, you know, destruction of Grace House, like, you know, when their rebellion, you know, when they're, you know, fighting back kicks off and this is through fire. You know, when they set, you know, ignite the fucking, you know, oil puddle. When 
Ray is holding the match in his hand to immolate him, you know, to set himself on fire, you can see a little reflection in his eye of that match. Mm-hmm. Gildan, a previous episode, was tying ropes together, you know, when they, you know, were worried about being caught, and the lantern above her was flicking in and out. So again, you know, keeping that flame alive. Like, the show has been, fail- I would say, fairly consistently been using its lighting not only to set mood, but also to reinforce the idea of, you know, the kids' rebelliousness, you know, they're fighting back against this authority, you know, and what state that is in, like, how vigorously they feel it. You know, there's also that there's also that reason why, you know, Emma, you know, when she's dejected, see, it's raining, you know, it's green, you know, it's grey everywhere. I really, like, maybe I'm reading into this too much, but again, also I should note that, you know, the opening has a fuse and a lantern as it's, like, opening images and has the word fire in it. That's the thing I was going for there. So I think that, you know, <laughs> there's... I think there's something to be said for that. I think that that's what they've been going for, above and beyond just simply using it for mood. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's a really cool... Yeah, that's super cool. There's so many yeah. things like that in this show. Like, diet yeah, things... They're, they're, they're a very visual, kind of, you know, people... Yeah. Speaking of fire, by the way, one small thing I want to know. Immediately after, um, when we cut to Isabella for the first time this episode, she's going through the nursery with the lantern. When she puts that down, after, you know, we can infer that Ray has ignited, you know, that pool of oil, we can still hear very slightly the burning of her own lantern. And I'm like, oh, you fuckers. <laughs> you absolute fuckers making that, making that noise just play very mildly in the background and make you think, oh yeah, Ray's burning's alive now, isn't it? Oh, you dicks. I hate you. <laughs> it's not my fault! It's what's in the show! Don't play me for what they put in there! No, 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 that's, that's what I said when it happened. Like, I don't hate you, but it's like, oh, fuck. Oh, oh I can't... But, like, oh. yeah, it was almost obvious that he wasn't there, but uh, for, for a tiny moment, it's like, well, like at the same time, I didn't believe it when fucking Norman died. So I'm like, they're not gonna do it. Man, I, I will say, I don't though, did believe I believe these I, children are going to die. I, I just don't. I not, it's not in my brain. I can't compute it. Are you trying to buy by zero? Give up, Vargalia. Give up. It's so easy. Did I not? Did I not call it? By the way, that they would burn Grace House down, ashes. I'm sure I mentioned either previously. You, I'm before. pretty sure you did. Yes. Yes. Not that I actually committed to predicting that, mind you. But then again, funnily enough, one final thing I'll say is like I also said in the previous year thought, what's their end game here? Like, mm-hmm. You know, Grace House will get restocked with more kids at some point unless they burn it down. So this like is the perfect action, I would say, like as good a thing as they could do. Yeah. Destroy the place so they can't have more kids there. Get the existing kids out. Disrupt the whole thing. Like, I mean, sure, they could probably rebuild it in a short while. But insofar as what they could do right here and now to, you know, truly not only save their own generation, but that of a generation that could be coming. Good yeah. move. Uh, were you, like, you've made so many of these references in past episodes, but like, while the house was burning down, or were you just like, 
Yeah, I'll just put on some killing in the name of in the background right about now. <laughs> I was actually thinking more of Prodigy's Firestarters. Oh, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Or, of course, you know, the, uh... God, what was his name again? You're the I've had a complete blank. The trouble instigator. That's it, yeah. I've had a complete <laughs> blank. Uh, man. No. It was, a uh, yeah. It was a good thing. I... I'm glad that they burned the place down. I'm sad that, you know, Isabella got out. I was hoping that she would be caught in there. Like, maybe they should have locked her in there, perhaps, you know, but... Eh, who cares? I don't know if that one face was in the manga. I don't know if either of the, like, oh, really is- memorable Isabella, Isabella faces. Um, is- Isabella looking like she's just eaten, like, the worst Taco <laughs> Bell ever. <laughs> it does look like that. And then and then the one face where it's like, um, you think, like, her eye has become a monster and grown tentacles. Because it's like, when, when she realizes that she's been fucked over, just like the, like... She gets so mad. <laughs> like you can see steam coming out of her ears. Um, those were great yeah. moments. Whenever she turns around and she's Emma, Emma. Oh, you can see like it's like hitting her in waves. Like yes. Oh, she sees the shit. ear. She's like, uh, what? And then the fucking veins in her face just explodes. Like, the ear. The fucking the ear. ears. Also, they didn't. They didn't use the box. No, 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 no. Because they needed. Because they needed the the trackers to be there. So that's it. Yeah. Would look. Yeah, they needed them to be be in the box. Ray Ray is in the fire. Yeah, that's it. And they set that up with crows. Motherfucker! Red herring. They didn't fucking scream at all. They're like, fine, take it. Fucking hell! Oh man. But yeah, like that was set that was set up as what I thought was gonna be a red herring because Chrome mentioned, Oh, you can cut it off and put it as a it's fine, you can do that. I was like, nah. Nah, it's red herring. But no, <laughs> the kids had a better way of doing it, which was to leave them intact to fuck with Isabella's Man. tracking device. God. Remember remember the this other show. It said they're gonna kill mom. So over the wall they hit some AK forty sevens. And they're going God. back for Phil. <laughs> <laughs> they're going back with the Molotovs like hey mom the Molotovs. <laughs> yeah. like I, just the line at near the beginning of episode oh, 11 also as a bonus <laughs> yeah. I hit 10 Molotovs <laughs> yeah. welcome to Fortnite incredible just, man yeah. incredible I mean I'm just I'm just waiting for Emma and uh, uh, Ray no for Ray specifically to go back and say I was a level 1 mobster now I'm a level 30 boss <laughs> what do you do about that it always makes me think of Goldeneye because I think that was the first video game where the Molotov was a weapon that I played. <laughs> so I always think of Goldeneye. Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, a Ray made his own Molotov. How did he make the Molotov? He just pulled the balls. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess cheese. he had enough fire or whatever else you need. Yeah. Look, um, he had a crafting table handy. We've established this. <laughs> Right. Yes. Show the crafting table. <laughs> his his craft item skill is pretty exceptional. His anyway, persuade skill, not so it's, much. It's like bottles, and then like his fuel, which he has fucking three tons of mm. under mm-hmm. his bed. 
They never smell it. That's the that's the unbelievable yeah. part. I guess if it's also all also also fuel. Sealed. I mean, it's they're sealed, but also fuel has an expiration date. Right? Yeah, also true. Yeah, maybe after like, six years, it's probably not good anymore. <laughs> but like, so this is what I wondered because I was thinking that it wasn't a bunch of lighter fuel. I was thinking they're going to burn the house down using the chemicals. Like he's remember, he was like, mom, they're going to poison you. So we're going to swap all the chemicals for water. And he would just keep all the chem. But I guess that would have caused an explosion, <laughs> not just a fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, you've uh, seen Ray there with like two test tubes. Like, right. What happens when I do this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, are we ready to rate the episode? Very much so, yes. Uh, I'm going to apologize. Did we talk about fucking Phil at the end? Okay, let's talk yeah, about Phil. Yeah, okay. Mom is, he is really like fucking... Mom I can't is say like, anything. Mom is fucking like, oh, I'm going to kill these children. They're alive. Okay, they're not burning. I'm going to get them. I'm going to kill them. And then ah! she, it's like, she's like, she's having a moment. She's enraged. <laughs> and then she is having a moment. She, she is having a moment. And then Phil tugs on her things. It's like, what? What the fuck? There are other children I, I here. Love that, <laughs> I love that scene so much. Because he's like, what? Which is like kind of the audience thing. Like, oh my God, their plan is like bigger. Because they probably like thought like, oh, mom's going to come after us. Mom's going to do something. Oh, fuck. You know, there's this mm-hmm. unpredictable thing, even then. Because, like, you know, you see the children running to the wall, and it's like, oh, it's like ten of them. Where's everyone else? But, yeah. Um, it, I'm, I'm very happy to see that there's a bigger moment of, hell yeah, we got this as a team. Let's fuck the system. <laughs> fuck Coming you, up. I will do if you tell me. There yeah. you go. Ah. <laughs> Um, some of those that work forces should on. Um, I was saying the draw cross, <laughs> right? So like, uh, em- Emily in chat, Gogo Atomic Robot says like, you gotta wonder what books they had if they know how to make explosives. Maybe they were put there deliberately. <laughs> well, mm. you know, this makes me actually, you know, as a uh, someone who is in and around academia. This I actually, thought you were going to say artist, then. No, yep, as someone who has blown up a few houses in his time. Um, no, as, as someone who's in and around academia, your question actually made me think, I wonder if they burned, like, first editions or really valuable books. How many books could be left? Like, I know there are humans outside, but, like, what if there's only, like, 1% of the population that's free and the rest are... And the, the books are dying and going away or something you know what i mean like what what did they lose in the library it's a fucking you're you're, a, you're an extreme dad it's an alexandria fire again like no no oh man whatever would have happened to that first edition of 50 shades of gray but the future generations to enjoy but seriously like the library at alexandria had like these medical books these like philosophic yeah, texts they, that were never was... ever recovered after that fire, we don't know. Was it like we don't know? They're lost forever. Mm. Um, so like what? priorities, <laughs> yeah, Pri- priorities. Exactly. In argue. this case, there was a there was definitely a uh, yeah. a higher I ranking like, priority. Do you, want, do you want to see that scene where Ray's like book, child, book, child? 
Ooh, this is such a hard choice. Yeah. This is oh. definitely not Child. an accident. This this is like the we need to do this to live. I definitely understanding. But this On is the first kit? this is the first kit? time the thought crossed my mind now. Please run it. <laughs> Anyway, I was gonna say, like, how do they know to build, like, Molotovs? You know, they, they must have had fuel for some reason, right? So they have a fireplace, mm. or they have, like, a, you know... Um, you can probably put two and two together. I mean, it's not the most yeah, complicated like candles. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, it this makes fire. I pour, cool. I pour in a piece of glass, glass shatters, blah, 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 blah. They have all what those bothers me is that he, know, he knows they're called Molotov cocktails. <laughs> Dude! <laughs> There's another weird, like... So definitely <laughs> there has to be, like, some military book. Like, some yeah. shit. Like, Maybe how to smash ATMs and destroy the patriarchy. I mean, to be fair, if you watch the state of New York, that would also be valid. An, idiot, an, an idiot's guide to destroying storefronts. <laughs> to smashing windows. Looting An- cash <laughs> registers. Anarchy Reigns, Volume 1. Like, anarchy for dummies. <laughs> right, yes. How to Anarchy. WikiHow, Anarchy, print it off. <laughs> um, oh shit, you were saying something that, god damn it, I had something I was going to say and it left my brain. What were we just talking about besides the Molotovs? What were you saying, That's Shadon? Was, ah! I'll just, I'll just quickly sideways and say oh, to answer oh, Jessica's oh. question. Got okay. it, got it. The, I had uh, I, one of those like sort of weird, like, what level of technology is this society in moments in this episode too? Because, you know, you have mom with the big tracking radar, but you also have mom using a feather pen. <laughs> I her letters. And I know I, like I, it, it could be one of the fucking like boutique, like, Oh, this looks like a feather pen, but it's just an ink pen. But like, why would you do that? <laughs> I, I have to say dog, like, I, I thought that, and I thought, what is she writing? I just thought, day 365. <laughs> Ray is a complete twat. I cannot convince him to not be a mopey dick. <sighs> it really, really bothered Lunch was excellent, though. I would love a side series of, like, the young, Ray, young Ray and young Norman just bickering. <laughs> Dude, oh, that is, I, I, that's what I'm talking about in the manga. Those, like, the the stories that, it, they're, like, ongoing between chapters or between books. They'll be, like, one page, like, side story one, and then side story two will pick up from where it left. And it's just about them as tiny children. Something we've not addressed, by the way, I just want to bring up as a point to also reinforce how fucks the whole situation is for Isabella. Again, not, you know, sympathizing with her necessarily or, you know, saying, ah, you go, girl, but more just like, man... <laughs> Uh, so, correct me if I'm wrong, but did she not say to Emma, have a kid, and then you might become a mom? Inferring that, you know, they are forced, you know, they are inseminated, artificially inseminated, and then their kids, once they pop them out, are taken away to be grown as meat for the demons. Yeah, I think based on what she said, and then based on what Crone said earlier, like, part of being, a mo- like, the final hurdle to being a mom... Is like the, when they say, give like, up your child? yeah, they're like, okay, oh. you're you've passed mom school, you're like a worthy candidate, so 
you have to have a baby and take care of her. Or I don't know, maybe it's also part of mom school. Maybe they like make you have a kid and take care of it and be like, you're the best caregiver. So now you like graduate and then have to give it away. So that way you, uh, you know, are familiar with the idea of giving up children. You might. Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's the last test. (laughs) That's fucking brutal, man. God, fuck these demons. Like, but that oh. also makes me. I'm just. Gonna, I'm just gonna leave on this note here. Like, this is complete fan wank theory. So don't believe this for a second. How, how fucked would it be if it turned out Ray was Isabella's son? <laughs> Someone in chat said Norman was. <laughs> I think he gets the hair color. Yeah. Oh, he does. He, he dies it. Hair. Norman dies it. It's. We all know it. <laughs> he he wants to play it off like it's simple. We know. We know. What the what with one winged angel brand? Yeah, yeah. It's silver hair is cool. Yeah, yeah. The young people like it. Man, this thing is fucked. That's all I gotta <laughs> say. But yeah, man. All right, we do we have a the, discount uh... Norman in the audience. Oh, the clone. The, the children. Yeah, we have a discount Norman. God. God. Also, we have like that we have like out these kids were clones. Exactly. We have like discount versions of like we have baby Emma. Now we have this Norman. Now what the hell? I would actually argue that Phil might be Crone's son. Woofed. Oh dear. Dear oh fucking. No. Okay. um, (laughs) I appreciated the leaner. Before before we get to uh, rainy episode, I apologize for not putting polls up for for Twitter as of yet. I've just been kind of too stuck in the conversations, but there will be some there will be some coming up. There will be some coming up after we conclude. I do have some ideas on what to start. Uh, so I'll Thank drop you. those in in Warridge Twitter after we finish rainy episode and sign off. I have this problem as well. I sympathize with you entirely. Um, I've got ideas. I got ideas. Pointing this nugget in mind. Just inserting it into the flow of the discussion is like such a pain. But this is what I go through for you, audience. <laughs> this is feel it, feel, feel my anguish. Feel uh, Vorgelia, rate this episode. Rate both episodes. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> both episodes. Oh my god, these episodes were amazing. They were like a just a roller coaster of emotions and. A wonderful ending and a wonderful kind of uh, like redemption and punctuation of the roller coaster of emotions that happened throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. What wonderful episodes! Do I have any memes this time? Uh, You're short on memes. You're the damn nine Molotovs <laughs> out of ten, and you lost one. No, okay, yes, I did lose one, and also. <laughs> uh, Five burnt sausages out of five point five. Man, oh man! <laughs> oh my! No, <laughs> no. Mm, something smells good. Now I have to like come up with another referent to refer to. I've, well, I've got ten one. nice catches yeah. out of. Stop! Just... <laughs> ah, <damn it>, <laughs> four, four ears in my necklace. <laughs> you can, you can muse, you know, doc. But that that would I shouldn't, but I'm, it's hovering. The mouse is hovering. <laughs> ten, ten water drips out of ten. Shadon, rate the episodes <laughs> with, with with pleasure. Um, 
I, like I've talked about all like the various like ideas I plucked from these episodes and the execution, but I haven't really talked about how I reacted emotionally. And nice to say, like in the run up to Norman walking out of that door, I was like, no, no, they ain't doing it. They ain't doing it. They ain't sending him off. Nah, it was some last minute thing. He's gonna escape. It's fine. We're good. Great and. Exactly so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it it like say what you will about like what goes into making this show. Say what you will about the technical elements or the writing as as we've done as we've disseminated. What I haven't really spoken about is the end effects, and it did grip me. It gripped me, it made me want to see what happened next. And then seeing them burn Grace House down to so much ash in the end. Fuck yes. Take that, you demon bastards. Um, yeah. So also, I'm going to give two different ratings for these episodes because I can't really say enough how impressed I was with episode 10 in particular and all the various elements that went into it. So episode 10 gets five out of five incredibly cruelly timed swans migrating for winter. Oh, man. That was another... Yes, another passage of time thing that I forgot to refer to. Yeah, So good. That's it. And as for episode uh, 11, also really good, not going to lie. Didn't quite... Well, it can't really because of the function of the story in question. But I still think it was excellent all around, and I will therefore give that one 4.5 anachronistic quill pens out of 5. Man, you guys took all the good ones. <laughs> you really just took them all. Uh, well, just the, these episodes, I only have to come up with one because these episodes have the same rating for me. I thought they were both uh, excellent, like uh, really, really amazing, like catharsis episodes. I love um, someone in chat. I think it might have been Emily. I Forgive me. Uh, had, had said this episode was almost like uh, the the part in the heist movie where they pull off the heist. Like, yes. you'd seen the plans, you'd seen the plans go sideways, and you'd seen the replans. But a lot of times in, like, like I don't know, the ocean... a car back on yeah. the road. <laughs> or like, oh man, the Mark is gonna be home that day. Fuck, yeah. he was not gonna be and home, you know? <laughs> like, even, uh, even in those movies, a lot of the time you kind of see the, the plans to lead up to the final reveal of how they actually pull it off. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, you know, just, okay, we're going to do it this and this and this and it works out. Yeah. And uh, that was a good example. This also reminded me, like, it's a better version of what I'm about to say, but not dissimilar feelings in, like, the Kaiji episodes whenever it, or, or the Akagi episodes whenever it's just an explanation. The previous episode, oh, they they man. beat the system or they won Mahjong or something like that. And then there's a whole episode to... Well, let me tell you how I did it. <laughs> you know? Let me explain how I didn't get my fingers cut off. Yeah, let me explain how I beat like the world's greatest pachinko machine <laughs> or whatever. He got his fingers cut off. Just one, right? Or was no, it? He did, but, but, but he did, but not initially, because he was playing against uh, the guy before with the e cards against Tonegawa. Tonegawa, yeah. He didn't get his, he didn't get his fingers cut off. Then. He did when he lost against the boss, though. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, no, these episodes gave me like such good feelings. Like it just reminded me of why I loved this arc in the manga. Like the setup was so, so good. And it just makes the payoff really, really sweet. And 
man, everything about it, all the symbolisms we talked about and the the running motifs and uh, our love for these characters and just the trauma, like so much emotion, like there was so much here and I loved all. I'm going to give both these episodes the full five, uh, five um, old Akira children out of five. You could have said five light fuel. You still had the gas tanks. Well, that's boring. That's boring. I think <laughs> it's much funnier. How many light out of fuel? <laughs> five <laughs> light out of fuel. 17 light out of 12 fuel. Mm-hmm. Point two. Um, yeah, Akira children are scary little children with very old looking faces. Much like this episode, mm-hmm. they had the very old looking faces for a sec. Uh, Six discount Normans out of seven. <laughs> discount Norman, right. <laughs> Yes. Um, seven leaves falling onto emotionless Emma's shoulder out of five. Okay. Okay. Uh, you're, that's... you're stretching it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that is the episode. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching and or listening. We appreciate everybody in the chat. We appreciate everyone who uh, listens or watches on demand. Thank you very much. Um, if you would like to show your appreciation to us, uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes. That uh, helps us, you know, in our discoverability. Follow us. Subscribe on YouTube. Uh, share. Tell all your friends. You know, get uh, follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud. Uh, please take our survey to help us improve and do right by you guys, uh, the community. Uh, we are small now, but but we are still awesome. And uh, we being the community, not... Well, we, the hosts, are off, but I'm talking... Hmm. Okay. You guys are good. Over. You guys are the best. Help us. You good. We love. We love. Big <laughs> Baba. Bye is bye. Bench. Podcast. <laughs> Baba is you. You is podcast is wall. <laughs> um, that's a really good video game, by the way. Baba is you is really good. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah. Uh, where can folks find you on the internet who are listening to the show via audio and cannot see your Twitter handles under your picture? Uh, you can find me on eBay. I'm currently going. To- <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you know that people want the value and be quite a bit. So uh, please uh, do head to eBay and search for you know secondhand Shadon and just you know <laughs> drop a bit. <laughs> <laughs> see fair dog they're not going to see that either no so like, you, you come with the and the ironing board <laughs> or is it just you accessories depends on, depends on what you want me for oh. but anyway Ooh. Ooh. Uh, in other in actual legitimate answers you know in reality uh, you can find me at Shane in 10 Town Twitter I also have a curious cat on the same thing feel free to hit me up about anything and everything except eBay so I don't have me sorry and Vorgali is on overstock.com. <laughs> <laughs> Trade some shares in Vorgali today. <laughs> TD Ameritrade. You can, you can find me at fanfiction.net slash blazemaster10. <laughs> <laughs> well, never mind that. How are you floating on the stock market right now? <laughs> oh, fuck. You trading well? <laughs> Man, the nice... The, the VAL stock. A nice callback to podcast content there. The the Blaze Master. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. To... Well, okay, <sighs> you can find me at your nearest tequila. And um Phil has consumed me, so I'm not 
too much on the internet. But you can find me at, at Virgelia or twitch.tv slash Virgelia. Uh, or whenever I hack Shadon's account at, at Shadon1010. <laughs> I'm there too. Sometimes. That never happens. <laughs> uh, that never happens. It never happens because I right. hack your account. Oh, um, fuck. So you can find me at the Who's subtle... Ha- whose account have I been hacking? <laughs> Uh, that's just Shadon ten ten spelled out T E N T E N, and then and then person. like I asked this question, and then trending on Twitter, Mr. Obama said, "Damn, I love the Promised Neverland." <laughs> on Twitter, <laughs> whose account was it? Oh my gosh! I'm at the subtle doctor. Um, I don't have a curious cat, but tweet me about things. I also have a wrestling podcast called Grappalicious that I do with DJM, David Majors. Uh, he's a good follow. Follow these guys here. Uh, and if you would like to tolerate talking more about Neverland or other things with me, please at me on Twitter. Thank you so very much. Happy Friday to everyone in uh, the live chat. And if you're, if you're listening to this later on and it's not Friday yet, I'm just saying, hey, when it's Friday... Happy Friday to you, too. And if it's your birthday out there, happy birthday to you. Happy day for everyone today. This is a great day. Go out. Enjoy it. Enjoy yourselves. We love you. Embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night, bro.